Mm, I think our positionality and our posture is certainly problematic and it's slightly schizophrenic. We don't behave like countries who know that we have... Well, I even think the term emerging is slightly problematic, but I'll, I'll talk about that another day. But who have emerged, as it were, from the tyranny of, uh, of, of structural adjustment and are certainly economically at the, on the upsurge for the most part. Um, and I think that the other thing is that you're quite right. There's a weakening in general of the non-aligned movement and the non-aligned principles. There's been a growing marginalization of the group of 77 countries over the past few years. And certainly there are other things such as technical expertise and financial means, which would give us set the, the, the means and the, the capacity to negotiate our space and to make particular demands, which we, we are more than within our rights to, to, to make. One example I'd like to make is that, for example, um, in terms of um, global of the way that we have reconstructed it over the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, the UNCHR, for example, ha- is, is, is also has a rotating chairmanship or chairpersonship based on regional, uh, regional preference. Uh, and at some point, the Africa region had, had, had elected or selected, I should say, Libya. Now, the U.S. did something which was unprecedented, which was to veto that, which is completely against the principles of the United Nations. And number two, they then called for a vote, which again was incredibly unprincipled. Fortunately for that, for, for, for the course of history and for the sake of the semblance of global democracy and global governance, they lost the vote significantly. And I think um, Libya was voted in by 33 votes to about seven, with about 17 or 18 abstentions. So even if all the people who had abstained had voted, Libya would have won anyway. Now, it's not about the person of, of Libya and the late Qaddafi, but of course it is about the principle of global of global of global does not mean. Now, the posture of African countries in that instance was that they, would, they insisted in, in a peculiarly to us, uh, I think, and, and, and excellently for that moment, they insisted on backing on the principle of sovereignty. Now, the problem with a lot of these processes and the problem, I think, with, with what has become the new internationalism is that to what extent are we able, willing or able to cede national sovereignties to global sovereignty or institutional sovereignty when those institutions are flawed and far from virtuous in their own conception and when they certainly favor northern interests and the interests of dying colonial powers um, in the face of a new world and a new 21st century reality. And um, I'm glad you uh, went there and uh, spoke about, uh, you know, the power to veto and so on. But uh, before I get to that, uh, Professor Landsberg, if I could just ask you this. When you have countries, um, African, South American, Asian, demanding full reform of the United Nations, do we know or do they actually know what it is that they are really calling for? Look, I, mean, I, I, I really think they have a clear sense. I think the most important thing that they are that they are irked about, and, and rightly so, is that, you see, with this veto power, this, this um, power where one of five countries can, let's use hypothetically the example of the Rwanda genocide of 1994, if the United Nations Security Council was to advance a resolution for a serious peace enforcement uh, uh, force uh, to Rwanda to prevent genocide. If one of them vetoes that decision, that decision does not hold soy. So let me just give you some, some, some factual statistics. 
between 1945 and 2007, between the United States and Russia alone, they vetoed close to 200 um, decisions on the UN Security Council. The reason why former President George W. Bush decided to go against the United Nations and sent 100,000 troops to Iraq for an invasion is because that was going to be vetoed by the UN Security Council. So it's very important. So I, I don't think the countries from the developing world and other countries uh, in general um, are unfair to ask for equality, for fairness, for justice, because you can't have five countries literally sitting in judgment of the world, and it's their national interest, it's their sense of what is important in the world that dictates and determines what becomes interesting. So, so President Zuma is absolutely right. 70% of peacekeeping operations as we speak take place in Africa. 60% of issues on the UN Security Council dominating the agenda for the last five years uh, are African issues. We have a number of UN organizations, um, including the Environmental um, Program, UNDP, all of these entities are involved in Africa, yet you, you can't have a continent, as the president say, of one, more than one billion people having permanent representation, and in Latin America's case as well. But I think Lebo has a very important point that she's touching on here. The problem for Africa is not that we, that we shouldn't advance the case for, for reform. Of course we should. It is how do you get 55 states to agree and speak with a common voice, and how does South Africa stop behaving as if it is the spokesperson of Africa naturally on the verge of being elected to become their permanent voice? Because you must remember one thing in South Africa with all our socioeconomic challenges, that if you're going to get a seat, a permanent seat on this, on this august body, illegitimate as it is for now, it's going to come with massive price tags, as in billions of dollars. So that's the price we want to pay for, for fairness and, and above all for prestige because I think we're also driven here by prestige, our standing in the world, how this thing will elevate our, our, how we come across in the world. You know, then, then fine, but we must have no illusions. It comes with huge responsibilities and financial obligations. Mm, but then the question that we are discussing this morning, can the UN Security Council, for example, be reformed because the powers that have uh, the nations that have the power to veto can they not use their veto to prevent reform from happening so so, so just briefly on that point Sakina, because it's a, it's a very key point first of all and this is what i like about your question it brings us back to reality there will be no reform of the united nations security council if you threaten the veto power of the permanent five is that a good thing is it fair of course it's not fair it's reality. I don't think Britain and France, quite frankly, um, deserve to be there. And certainly you don't need a third European country in the form of Germany. Uh, so Europe will be overrepresented with 500 million uh, population, half than Africa's population. There are concrete proposals on the agenda right now. One proposal is for two permanent seats for, for you know, for Africa, Brazil, Asia, two permanent seats without the veto, and I want to stress, without the veto, and even for a third country to rotate. That seems to be the most popular idea on the agenda right now. Then there is the idea proposed by Africa of rotation. So in other words, every two years, 
we have two members, but, but permanent, but again without veto. So what's the common denominator here? Yes, you can have reform. Yes, you need reform. Reality, however, dictates you're not going to get it without the consent of the P5, including our erstwhile friends, France and, 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 and uh, sorry, Russia and China, which has no illusions about the fact that they are as unenthusiastic about UN reform as America, France, and Britain is. And, and I just think it's important for South Africa to understand that. And uh, just looking at a few other bodies, uh, looking at the World Bank there, Lebohang, America chooses the World Bank president, Europe chooses the IMF uh, president. Uh, how does Africa actually get to muscle in on that territory? Well, every time there's a new president has been chosen, they have this dispute or this, this, this debate arises. Now, in the light of the debacle around Dominique Strauss-Kahn, for example, there was a, certainly a moment, and, and also the, 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 the debacle of previous to that, uh, James Wolfenson, the ignomiously, there was certainly the idea that the, 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 the virtuousness of, of, of only one region having the choice to then um, uh, the priority and the prerogative to choose, whereas the majority of the loans and the majority of the transactions are actually conducted between countries and from, by, from countries of the global south. Again, came into the fore and of, you know, the names were thrown about. I think our very own Trevor Manuel's name was mentioned. But you see, in the naming and in the alternative, we need to think very clearly. It goes back to the construction of these bodies and the fact that they were constructed for a particular reason and for a particular uh, historical moment. Yet again, let's recall that the World Bank and the IMF were built primarily to restore Europe and the North after the World War II. Yet again, the world has changed significantly from that time, which is why it is very important that we need to think about not only the fact that, as Chris has rightly said, there are financial obligations and what countries like the U.S., in fact, significantly the U.S. have done, is to buy influence, to buy power into uh, organizations such as the U.N. Um, and significantly the U.S. Security Council. Um, they buy veto power even at the WTO by, 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 by pure wherewithal of their technical expertise. And we need to think as African countries and countries of the global south of even if we get a seat there, what do we do with it? And I think that this is why the paralleled conversation around new forms of and new institutions becomes very important. Now, some people look to the BRICS, the BRICS Development Bank. Some people look to the Bank de Sur. Some people look at, um, you know, the, the, the ACN region, which has a, their own counterparts, which they have been trying to think about around, uh, you know, a different form of an Asian Development Bank, which would not be as neoliberal or market-driven in intent, which would be more egalitarian, which would be based on people placing in what, whatever donations that they are able to make, which are not hampered by market forces, uh, and which would then also decide democratically on how they, need to, they, how they need to distribute and disperse funds. I think I need to add here that the other thing, the other massive disconnect is that states are voice that is viable and the only voice that is valid in these spaces. And I think that the other thing that is, that, that what the, the, the deficit in these institutional, uh, international institutions showed is also a national democratic, democratic governance. So you have two people, Tony Blair and George Bush, for example, deciding on behalf of 7 billion people effectively that they are 
the and, and also often at the at the expense of their own voters and certainly at the expense of our own wishes as a global community that they are alone the 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 the, the, the deciders and the and the and the arbiters for what global justice is and is not and decide to evade invade Iraq now this is where the argument that a lot of these bodies also should include further civil society and popular movement representation currently the UN for example has 15,000 um, civil society organizations which are aligned to it, which would be your usual INGOs like your Oxfam, your Amnesty, because those are seen to represent or at least to buttress the voices of popular movements and popular sentiments. So how then if we were to, to create, um, how then if we were to create um, alternatives, would we, Sakina, be able to then bridge the gap, because the same complaint that we have about the African Union, for example, as being completely removed from the wishes and the aspirations of common citizens across the Africa region, would probably be reproduced. So in reproducing new models, let us not reproduce the, the same old problematics.